Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. There's gladness in here this morning. Do you know gladness is like a legitimate word in the Bible? This morning in prayer, just getting ready for today, it was uh, just Holy Spirit just took me into praying that word, that direction, gladness. And so I got my phone out, started searching scriptures of gladness and come across the scripture that said, strength and gladness are in his place. So it's awesome to know that every time we come to his place, and of course right now we're talking corporately as a church, this is his place, this is his house, that we should come expecting to get strength and gladness. If you leave church with no strength and no gladness, what was the point in coming? I can sit at home and be sad. I can sit home and watch the the saints and be depressed. Any cowboy fans in the house? Come on now. Bunch of bandwagon people. I'm excited to share with you guys this morning. Um... This is actually a concept, uh, it's very new to me, to be honest. Uh, this, this whole idea is very new to me. But we got to launch uh, our first small groups in our Wednesday night high school uh, group and uh, with the addition of a few junior high kids. Where's Hope, wherever she's at. Uh, but anyway, we took some students and we begin to train up student leaders and we begin to invest in them on Sunday nights. They come here at about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, and we just hang out for a couple of hours discussing. And I really created as an open forum where they get to voice their opinion. They get to bring up topics they want to deal with and they want to talk about. Uh, I feel like one of the things I've learned from growing up in the church is that as a student, most of the time we never dealt with and talked about things that I was wanting to deal with and talk about. Uh, So I've started creating that, an opportunity for these students to have a place where they get to voice their opinion. The first week we did it was right after the election. So we spent most of the night talking about the election. None of them are really old enough to vote, but they all have an opinion. And so we spent time talking about Donald Trump and talking about Hillary Clinton and talking about the media and talking about all these things that they have a voice in that they care about, but we never give them these opportunities. So anyway, we've created this opportunity for them to have a voice And in doing so, it began to prepare them and teach them how to have a voice within a group. How to actually speak out and have something to say and be legitimate within a group. And we started training these young people. And then we kicked off a Wednesday night small group where I took those students and I put them in the groups without me or Colby. That just got really bad. And uh, put them in the groups and said, all right, it's all you. You've got this small group tonight. You're going to lead it. And we did a group on passion. And it was awesome. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because this came out of that night. Me and Colby got to walk around to each group and just be in the group for little, just little moments, just seeing if they had questions they needed answered or, or if they were looking for a certain scripture and couldn't find it, just, just all these different things. So we were there to help them, but we got to pop into each of these groups. Anyway, we, as I was going in and out of these groups, the one thing I began to notice the most is that uh, each group had created its own atmosphere. Every small group that I got in, it had an atmosphere. It had a feeling. It, had a, it just went its own way. And later on, the Sunday after the small groups, we got to take those student leaders and we sat back here in the room and we got to just hash out what worked in their group and what didn't work. And we got to talk about all these things that was in their group. And I like working with students because I was able to say, you messed up right here. You need to fix it. 
And nobody got their feelings hurt and was offended and wanted to quit my church. That's just a plug I'm throwing out there for some of y'all. But I was able to deal with these students, and we were able to talk. And the main, the, the overall, the umbrella of the, of the night, of the conversation, was about the atmosphere in their group. And so we begin to deal with how does that atmosphere come about, and what is it like, and what does it look like, and all these things. And this message came out of something that I just threw out that night in the midst of it. And as I was talking to the students... We come to the position of create the atmosphere that you want to live in. On Wednesday nights, we deal with a lot of students that are coming from really bad situations and circumstances and these different types of things. So they live in these types of atmospheres that are not conducive for growth. They're not conducive for health. They're not conducive for for self-esteem or confidence or any of these types of things. And so we begin to deal with, in our small groups on Wednesday night, creating an atmosphere that someone would want to live in. A productive atmosphere, a positive atmosphere, a, a, a vulnerable atmosphere where they feel willing and comfortable enough to express themselves and to talk and these different kinds of things. And so out of that, this came out of creating an atmosphere that we would want to live in. And after I said that, I just spent days, just couldn't get off of it. I kept, it kept coming up in prayer and so many different things. And as I begin to study for this weekend, this is where we came back to. So today I want to deal with this. We're going to talk about creating an atmosphere that you would want to live in and just uh, really see where this thing goes. Before we dive into scripture or anything like that, I'm going to pray real quick. Then we'll get some definitions out and we'll get on. All right. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are faithful, Father. I thank you that you're here today already, that you're doing more than we could ever imagine. And you're, you're working in areas we don't even see and we don't even understand. And I pray this morning we would have ears to hear. We would have eyes to see what's happening in the realms that we don't understand yet, God, that you would help us, take us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with giving you a couple definitions. Uh, Atmosphere is the pervading tone or mood of a place or situation. It is also used to describe the environment surrounding you and the effect or appeal that it has. So the environment, the, the atmosphere that you're creating, the atmosphere that you have created in your own world, It has created an environment around you that has an appeal. It has an effect. It it plays a huge part in your life and what you do and where you go and all those things. And most of the times, we're just oblivious to the fact that we've created anything. We're just living life. But in reality, we're living within an atmosphere that we created. We are constantly creating the atmosphere around us And sadly, we often keep recreating that atmosphere based on what's happening around us. But in reality, we're created created in the likeness of our Father, who is by nature a creator. He speaks and things begin to exist or cease existing. This is the God that we serve. So Hebrews 11 and 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That when he speaks, he begins to frame the world we live in right now. When he speaks, everything is created. Well, my Bible teaches me that I'm created in the likeness of my Father. So I have the ability within me to speak and create the world that I live in. If you're upset with the world that you're living in right now, the atmosphere you have created, it's because that's the world you spoke into existence. Let me show you. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, this is a really, this is a scripture we've heard a lot. 
We've heard people throw it out there, and we understand that, and we usually use it for cutting people down and talking bad about people, but it's so much more than that. This is talking about the world that you live in. We have a bad habit of the church to downplay this scripture. I think mostly because it comes with way too much responsibility. I would rather act like this scripture isn't that big of a deal because this scripture holds me accountable for everything I speak. Did you know that when you get to heaven, you will be held accountable for every idle word that comes out of your mouth? There's a power in your speech, and it's the power to act like my father and create the world that I live in. Here we go. The truth is, we have the power to change, create, and sustain the atmosphere that we live in. If your atmosphere keeps changing around you, it's because you haven't been doing what's necessary to sustain it. You have the power to live in the atmosphere. Remember, that was the tone or the mood of where you're at. It's the environment around you and the effect or appeal it has on the people you come in contact with. You have control over that. Negativity and worry are not a personality trait. So quit using that as an excuse. You're negative and you worry because you've built an atmosphere of negativity and worry that you live in. I'm coming after negativity today. I'm over it. So due to us either, be, either downplaying the reality of this scripture or just being ignorant of it, we've lived in atmospheres created by the circumstances around us, or we've allowed other people to create the atmosphere that I'm living in. Because I don't understand that I have the power to create the atmosphere I want to live in. We always throw out a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know where that comes from? That comes from living in an atmosphere that other people can't understand. How can you be going through all this trouble in your life and still have peace? Because I live in an atmosphere of peace. And the outside world doesn't get to control and govern my atmosphere. See, the truth is your atmosphere doesn't have to be like Louisiana weather. Right? Aren't y'all loving this weather? Freezing one day and sweating the next. I heard somebody say the other day, if you don't like the weather, just hang around a minute. It'll change. But see, we live in atmospheres that are the same way. I never know which version I'm going to run into. You're going to be living in an atmosphere of joy today and greet me and love me and be passionate? Or am I going to run into you at the grocery store today and you're going to be upset and mad at the world? You're going to be hoping you didn't he I didn't hear you throwing that cuss fit on the other side of the aisle? Come on, I'm just being real with you all today. But this is the truth. This is the world that we live in. The world you live in is the world you create or the world you allow someone else to create. You don't have to just make the best of the atmosphere that you've found yourself in and hope to wake up better tomorrow. But you have creative control over your atmosphere. So start speaking life and joy and peace Start speaking the things that God is speaking over your life and build a mood, a tone, an environment around you that's permeating those things. Atmosphere, the definition was a pervading, a pervading tone or mood, and I had no clue what that meant, so I had to go look it up. And pervading is a word they use a lot when they're dealing with smell. 
In other words, it gets all in everything and consumes and it's all over it. So the tone or the mood you create will consume you. It will be all over you. You can say what you want to say, but your atmosphere will tell me the real story. You can say, I'm so blessed all day long. But if I'm standing in your atmosphere, I know how you really feel. See, we don't understand this. We just think that that whatever we're saying to you in the moment, that's what we're getting. No, we're getting all the atmosphere that you're releasing around you. And we wonder, why Christ, we wonder why people in our city aren't beating down the doors to get in our churches. Maybe it's because they haven't found an atmosphere that was appealing yet. I know it's not easy, but it's the truth. So I want to try to go through some scriptures this morning and maybe give us a better understanding of the importance of your atmosphere. How do you create it? Where does it come from? What do you do to get it or what do you not do to get into this atmosphere? So we're going to jump into Acts 27. So I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 27. It's just not even right, is it? (laughs) Or your phone, or your iPad, whatever. I didn't literally mean a Bible, but I meant I want you there yourself because I'm not putting them all on the screen. I'm just going to give you the highlights. Acts 27, we're going to start, we're going to jump in at verse 9. Now, first, I want to give you the backdrop here. Here's Paul. We're fixing to jump into a story of Paul. Paul has been arrested. He's been prolonged in prison and this and that. They couldn't find a reason to kill him, so they just kept prolonging his imprisonment and kept pushing it off and pushing it off. He ends up in this prison for two years uh, in all kinds of conversations with guards and leaders and all this kind of stuff. He's, He's in this place. And now they've decided they're going to ship him to Rome, and they're going to take it to a higher power, and they're going to deal with something different. So all these things are going on right now, and we're fixing to jump in the middle of this story. All right? Acts 27, verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent and the sailing was now dangerous because the, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. That's just what I want to read. So this was Paul's input into the situation. Paul said, guys, if we sail today, it's going to end miserably. It's not going to work like you think it's going to work. Needless to say, you probably all know the story. They don't care what Paul says. And they decide, we're going to sail anyway. We're going to move on. They completely reject the input that Paul gave them. Well, because they rejected it, they find themselves in a storm of epic proportion, one that we know as the Eurachlodon, a storm that lasted at least two weeks, according to the Bible. Here's the part that stands out, though. First, we just seen Paul's input being totally rejected in verse 9. But what I want you to notice is, after being totally rejected in verse 9, I want you to look at verse 16. We secured the skiff with difficulty. Now, I want you to notice something because we're fixing to talk about how, we, how you build your atmosphere. Paul was just totally rejected by these men. And then a few verses later, we see Paul helping these men do what's necessary to sell this sea. See, the problem, is, the, the, the thing here is, Paul wasn't going to allow the rejection of his input to create a negative atmosphere around him. Paul said, okay, so you rejected my input? Where's a rope? I'll help out. In other words, he didn't have to have a say-so. 
He didn't need his voice to be heard. He didn't need everybody answering to what he was doing. He was willing to be, have his input rejected and yet still stay positive and helpful. Do we live in an atmosphere that's so solid and consistent that even if you reject my input, I'm still willing to help you? I'm still willing to do what it takes to make sure this thing sells smoothly. Paul didn't have to have a I told you so. He just found a place to get in and help. How often do we allow a rejection of any type to begin to create the atmosphere that I'm living in? How many times have you found your input rejected on some level, some way, somehow? Or you felt left out, or you felt disconnected, and because of it, you built a negative world, and you begin to live in that negative world towards those people. When we live in negativity because of rejection within the church, you're literally allowing yourself to sit back and let the ship you're in sink because you don't want to change your mind. How crazy does that sound? Yeah, so it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but I'm still on this boat. And if I want to live, I need to find a rope and start securing some stuff. As a matter of fact, on that note, I want to help somebody right now. Just somewhat on a side note, you felt disconnected. You felt like in some way you've been rejected or you just didn't fit in right or you just didn't. And and instead of building a world around that, you need to start securing some things in your own life. You need to grab a rope and start saying, you know what, I'm going to secure my prayer life. And I'm going to secure my study life. I'm going to secure my positivity into other people's lives. Instead of building this world that creates a negative mindset. And then you go out there and you spew negativity about the very ship that you're in. Grab a rope and tie it onto something and commit to seeing this thing through. Secure some stuff in your own life. Don't build a world around the things you don't see happening. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in what's not happening. Too many times those things that we wish we would see and we don't are the only things we, we grasp to, and we build our world around that, and we ignore all the things that have been done. If you can't build a world around what he's already done, why would he come and give you a world of all the things he's going to do? Secure some stuff. Paul refused to give creative control to the people that were around him. Instead, he chose to create his own atmosphere. Kind of reminds me of blind Bartimaeus. He hears Jesus passing by, and he hears it's Jesus. So immediately, he steps into an atmosphere of faith. Immediately, he begins to create, man, if I can just get to Jesus, it's going to happen. Well, what happens? The people around him begin to try to invest negativity into that atmosphere. Be quiet, Bartimaeus. Jesus ain't got time for you. He's not worried about you. He said, no, I refuse. I refuse to give you control of the world I live in. And because of it, he got his miracle. 
Maybe some of y'all's miracles is right on the other side of you refusing to let someone else give creative control over your atmosphere. And if you could get past your negativity, maybe you'd get a miracle. I'm trying to be really nice. Your miracle could be on the other side of your negativity. But until you come to the place where you're willing to create a world around you, an atmosphere around you, an environment around you that's full of faith and optimism. Come on, I'm going to use these words that we should be talking about. That, That doesn't create a place for negativity to live. You're missing out. This is what I really want to get into this morning. That you will either build an atmosphere of faith or you will build an atmosphere of problems. Because that atmosphere has to be created based on something. So will you base your atmosphere on faith or will you base your atmosphere on the problems that are around you? So now let's jump back to Paul. All this is going on. He's been rejected. The storm is crazy. It looks like they're going under. Everything is just a mess. It couldn't get worse in the moment than it is right now. And then we jump in at verse 22. And Paul says, take courage. Be of good cheer. Don't worry. Don't be negative. Don't start stressing. Don't start giving up now. Don't create a world based on the storm that we're in right now. Don't begin to create an atmosphere because the waves are getting bigger. I don't care how big the waves are. Don't let it crush your atmosphere. Take courage. None of you will lose your lives. But the ship don't have a chance. The only thing we have right now to get us to where we're going will not make the trip. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Even when the ship is being torn apart, don't allow what's happening to the ship to control your atmosphere. Don't allow the the lack of the resource you thought you needed to create the world that you're going to live in. God didn't need a ship to get him there. He could have made him walk on water. He could have made him disappear and reappear on the island. So quit investing in the resource. Quit giving everything you got into the bank account and into the ministry and into the moment and and start creating a world based on the fact that God told him he was going to Rome. So Paul said, I'm going to create an atmosphere based on my faith, not on my problems. The problem is we've become too problem conscious and all we can see is the problem and the problem begins to trump the promise and everyone else is freaking out because it looks like they're about to die and Paul I didn't put it on here but a few scriptures earlier guess what he's doing he's propped up breaking bread and praying over the meal guys are shoveling water out trying to secure the skiff you can imagine the chaos that's taking place And Paul's like, hey, guys, y'all want a sandwich? Y'all want to take a moment to eat real quick? I mean, we're not going to die. We might as well eat. Because he refused to allow the problems that he found himself in 
to create the world he was living in. Be very careful that someone else's opinion about you doesn't begin to create your world because they can't see your world. They can't see what's happening in your life. So don't allow their words to change what you're living in right now. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you've lost it. How can you be sitting here enjoying a meal right now when we're about to drown? We are about to die. Paul said, no, we ain't going to die. We we ain't going to die. I got a promise. And I've chosen to build all my tone and my mood and my environment based on that promise. So here's Paul standing in the middle of all the guys that rejected him. He's standing in the midst of a bunch of criminals, guys that are hoping the ship tears apart because they're going to try to swim for freedom. All this that's going on, all this chaos. Paul's just sitting there eating a sandwich. I bet he was quoting the scriptures from, from the Old Testament. He prepares a table before me in the midst of my enemies. In the midst of everything that's going on, God just starts feeding me. So if you wonder how I'm so happy in the moment, And why everything around me seems destroyed and chaos, and yet I'm still happy, it's because my belly's full. And I've just been eating. While everyone else is losing their mind, in my atmosphere, there was a table prepared before me. I figured I might as well say a prayer and eat. Literally, it's what Paul told them. He said, guys, we might as well eat because we're not going to die. That was his mindset. Because he refused to become focused on the problem. I said it earlier. Worry is not a personality type. I'm I'm, I'm so tired of hearing that. That's just the way I am. I'm just naturally a worrier. If anybody had to reason to worry, it was Paul. He was literally in a a ship that was sinking. I don't know about y'all, but being out in the ocean just creeps me out. Could you imagine being out there in a storm with waves that are higher than you can see? And it feels like you're about to go down and you can't even see the land yet. I would already be dead from a heart attack. I would be gone. Like, y'all better call somebody to revive me. And Paul's sitting in this moment with no worry. Can we even fathom that type of a life where there's no worry? He had no reason to worry. To him, the promise was enough reason for him to never worry. That's so big to me. As I begin to look at this, I begin to think, in his mind, he couldn't find a reason to stress. I could have wrote him a whole list. Paul, what about this and this and this and this and this? And he's sitting there thinking, it doesn't affect me. He never even became negative. He never once became negative about the situation he was in. How often is negativity our default setting? And we do good at first. When the storm first started, it gets kind of rocky. Oh, man, I'll go to my faithful scriptures, you know. Uh, He always leads us to triumph, and he works all things together for the good of those who love them. And, And we're quoting all these scriptures, but then the waves just get higher and higher, and the boat starts to fall apart. And how often do we start reverting back to, well, if we'd have done this, or if pastor would have done this, or if my spouse would have done this. And all this negativity begins to come in. 
Paul said, I can't even find a reason to be negative. I'm so convinced of the promise that I can't even figure out how to be negative. The more I thought about this, I began to realize that a negative Christian is really an oxymoron. Am I right? Or just a more, never mind. But negativity and Christ-likeness, I can't find where they intersect. I can't look in the life of Jesus Christ and find a good reason for my negativity. I can't bend the scriptures well enough, and I can't take this one and that one and put them together and all of a sudden realize, oh, well, right here, Christ, he was a little negative. He had kind of a tone right here. False. He did not. Because the environment that he lived in, the atmosphere he created, there was no room for negativity. Negativity couldn't survive in his atmosphere. So don't allow the current storm to change your atmosphere. Choose to create an atmosphere based on the promise. An atmosphere of promise will cause you to have a peace that other people can't understand. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the, uh, the woman from Shuna, Shunem. All you religious people know her as the Shunamite woman. I just like to call her something different. You know how it is. It's kind of like her, right? If anyone had a reason... The very thing God promised her died in her arms. See, a while back, my wife had got pregnant. And in the moment, we were so excited. Because every child is a promise and a gift from God. It's the best gift that we can be given. And he gives us this gift, and, and, and we're going to the doctor and all this. You know how it is. You have all these visits. Well, one of the visits, we come out, and the doctor says, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something growing around the baby's head that's not right. It's not what it's supposed to be. And immediately, I just got mad. I was like, this is stupid. I left the doctor off, and you asked Courtney, I was just mad. I was mad at everything. I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to deal with youth. I didn't want to do anything. I was just mad. But I knew the right thing to do was start finding some scripture. So I dove into my Bible, and I started looking for scripture, and I said, God, if you'll give me a word, I can stand on that word. I don't need it from my dad. I don't need it from my friends. I don't need it from a pastor. I need a word from you because this is bigger than me. So I went in, and I found a scripture, and it was just, it was what I needed at the moment. And I just began to hold on to that scripture. And I remember standing right here in front of this entire church and declaring that that baby would be fine. That we would all be rejoicing in the hospital when that baby was born. Only to that very week that I declared it, go back to the doctor's office and then tell, them tell me there's no heartbeat. It's over. That's it. And immediately, I begin to let all, everything that was going on, and I feel like in the moment, I get a small glimpse of what this woman felt like. God promised us that child. Every child is a promise. That was my promised child. And now here it is, and it didn't survive. What happened? What went wrong? And we begin to go through all these emotions and all these things. So in a way, I feel for her. I feel where she was coming from. And I feel like she handled it better than I did. 
It was tough. It was hard. We had to work through it. It presents all kind of problems. Any of you that's ever been through a miscarriage, you know all the craziness that it creates in a home. But I begin to look at this woman who just lost this promised child. She lays the boy to the side, stands up and dusts herself off. She says, you get me a donkey and you get me a servant. And the husband begins to say, what's wrong? What's going on? It is well. Everything is fine. I refuse to let this loss in the moment create an atmosphere around me that doesn't take me to the man of God. There's a power within this atmosphere to get to places we haven't been able to get to yet. She began to say, I refuse to buy into this loss, but I will create an atmosphere that says it is well. It's good. So it's really only in these moments, in the storm and in the loss, and that, uh, that the legitimacy of your atmosphere is even revealed. Anyone can have a good atmosphere, tone, or mood when everyone wants your opinion and the check lasts all the way to the end of the month. It's easy to have a good atmosphere when you're living in the promised land. It's easy to have a good atmosphere when you're sitting in here on Sunday morning. It's easy then, but it's only in the moments of loss and hurt and the storm that the legitimacy of your atmosphere is revealed. There was no question about Paul, the atmosphere Paul was living in while he was starting churches and rebuking Peter and being a spiritual rock star. No one questioned any of it. But it was in the moments like we're reading about now where you begin to say, wow, Paul was something else. What Paul had created was legit. It was for real. It was when the plans that he pushed before he was a Christian came back to haunt him and now were the reasons he was going through what he's going through as a Christian. On that note, be very careful what you push to happen to somebody right now because it could be happening to you at some point. It was when he had been arrested, his opinion was rejected, he was hungry, he was stuck in a storm for two weeks. Then we see how consistent and how strong the atmosphere he created really was. Jesus created an atmosphere of forgiveness that was validated on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Your atmosphere, there's no, there's no validation to your atmosphere until you get into a place where your atmosphere is challenged. Until you get into a place where you have to prove, I am what I say I am. The atmosphere that we choose to live in is vital to our survival and our effectiveness. In Matthew 13, while Jesus was hanging out by the sea, he taught us that the environment we have created will be evident by what happens to the seed that is sown into it. Remember the story Jesus taught about the seed that's sown on the different grounds, the different environments, and what happened with it? Your environment will be revealed by what you do with the seed that's sown on Sunday mornings. You can tell me your, atmos your atmosphere is legit all day long, but if I don't see the seed taking root and growing fruit in your life, then it's revealing to me the realness of the atmosphere you've created. Your survival depends on it. 
It depends on the environment you create. Based on the environment you came in with this morning will determine whether this word does anything for you or not. Will it fall on a productive, conducive atmosphere? As a matter of fact, do you know why we live on earth and not on Mars? <laughs> exactly. Because the atmosphere on Mars is not conducive for our life. But the atmosphere on earth is conducive for all life. See, it's the same way with the sea we're talking about. Some of you have created an atmosphere that things can't live in. And you want to blame it on the preacher or the person sitting around you, or I'm not getting fed at this church. If you're in any church where this is being poured out, you're being fed something. And whether it takes or not is based on your atmosphere. Is your atmosphere conducive for life? Is your atmosphere conducive? I just can't figure out why I can't stay in it. I just can't. It must be this church. No, it ain't the church. It's your weak, pathetic atmosphere that can't grow anything. Because I don't know if you've noticed, we're all, be fedding the, we're all being fed the same thing every week. So why is it that some excel and some don't? Can I just be real with you this morning as a, pa- as a pastor? It's because your atmosphere is not conducive for the life needed to grow fruit in your life. Did you know that the life of a plant that produces the fruit is based on the atmosphere that we live in? If there was no atmosphere, if there was not the atmosphere of earth, the plant could not have respiration and photosynthesis. And that is where it creates another one, and the whole process happens, and fruit comes out of it. You know why it comes out? Because of the atmosphere. So if there's no fruit in your life, don't start blaming the people around you. Start checking the atmosphere around you. Your atmosphere will determine your growth. You know what Mars looks like? Dusty, dry. It can't sustain the life that's needed because of its atmosphere. Did you know that Mars has an atmospheric pressure of 25 teratons in comparison to Earth's atmosphere, which has 5,148 teratons of pressure? Isn't it crazy that it requires pressure for us to live? I'm just not even going to go there. If you can stand the atmospheric pressure, then a process can begin to happen in your life that on earth we know as photosynthesis, which is where a plant has the ability to reproduce. If you can't handle the atmospheric pressure that it takes to reproduce, there will be no fruit in your life. So quit complaining and running away from the pressure and start understanding it's the pressure that produces your fruit. Wow. My goodness, where is this coming from? If your atmosphere is too thin and too weak, it cannot sustain life. Everything within the earth's atmosphere is subject to that atmosphere because the earth's atmosphere is so thick and so heavy and so strong. The atmosphere you create in your life must be the same way. 
You need to create an atmosphere that is so strong that anything that comes into your atmosphere has to become subject to your atmosphere. In my own personal life, because of the way I was raised and and coming up under my dad and my mom and the way it was in our house, there was just no negativity. One of the things that I, my, me personally that I am the most thankful for in my upbringing is that we were not a negative family. We just didn't, it just didn't happen. It wasn't normal. It wasn't natural. So I was created and raised up in a place where I built an atmosphere that didn't, was not conducive for negativity. And then, I'm not going to name any names, but two specific people came into my life who come from a family that was very negative. And a lot of things were always negative. So in doing so, I had to learn to strengthen my atmosphere to a place that their negativity becomes subject to my atmosphere and my atmosphere didn't become subject to the negativity. Does that make sense? We need to start creating some atmospheres through our prayer and our study and our relationship with God that is strong enough to take over the things that right now are recreating your atmosphere. We keep hearing, well, when I go to work, when I go to the school, when I go to this, when I go to that, that's because you're giving them opportunity and you're giving them, what's the word I'm looking for? You're giving them creative control over the atmosphere that you live in. I can hang around people all day that cuss, and it never makes me want to cuss. Because I have an atmosphere that is not conducive for that language. But if your atmosphere is weak, and that language can live in your atmosphere, you can't hang around people that talk like that, because then you'll start talking like that. I can hang around people that drink all day long, and it doesn't make me want to drink. Why? Because my atmosphere is not conducive for that drink. Man, that's real. That's real because some of y'all are struggling with being around certain situations and every time you get around a certain group of people or this or that, you're affected and you're changed and you feel like you got to repent and you go into a cycle of condemnation. You know how to not live in condemnation? Don't let them change your atmosphere. If your atmosphere really remains the same, you can't be condemned. We need an atmosphere that's strong enough to control anything that comes within it. Negativity, it doesn't have what it needs to live within my atmosphere. It doesn't have what it takes to be supplied with what it requires to grow. The second one was our effectiveness. Your survival depends on your atmosphere. And the second is your effectiveness. We'll show you what I mean. I want to deal with it in two aspects, and this is the last thing, and we'll get out of here. But I want to show you your effectiveness on a personal level and on a corporate level. Okay? So let's look at some scriptures, and I actually think I have these on here for y'all. So here's a story where Jesus meets the woman at the well. Very popular story. Everybody knows it. So they're having a conversation, and they've been actually, we're jumping into verse 16, but they've, been, they've spent 16 verses conversating, spending time together. He's been talking to her. She's been talking. There's been a long conversation going on, and we're going to jump in right in the middle. Now, I want, you to sh- I want to show you what Jesus does here, because this is not something we would probably teach in our witnessing program. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, 
the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you're with, ain't, you ain't married to now. You've been with five different guys, now you're shacking up with this dude. I just feel like if we started using this system to try to witness to people, that it wouldn't be this effective. Hi, my name's Josh, and you've been shacking up with people, and you need to quit because, you know what I mean? You've been with so Taylor, you've been with so many men by now. And the one you're with now, I mean, <laughs> I can use Taylor because, yeah. This is what's crazy, but what I want you to see is the response. How does Jesus get this response we're about to see from this conversation? First, he ends it with, certainly, you spoke the truth. Ready? Now watch her response to this. It's awesome. She runs back to the city, and this is what she says. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I don't want to see that man because he's going to start uncovering some stuff. You know what I mean? This is what's awesome, though. I want you to look at something the way this is written. My son right now is, is learning to read, and he's phenomenal. Like It amazes me what he can read, and he's so little. And he can quote more scripture than I know. But anyway, look at this, and this is what he loves. When my little boy's reading, he loves when there's an exclamation point. Because first he's trying to sound it out, and it's just like, come, come and see. And then when he sees there's one of those at the end, he starts over. Come and see a man who told me everything. I, and he loves those parts. He loves those moments. And in watching him learn to read, I begin to look into the Bible when I'm reading the Bible, and I begin to see these things, and I begin to do it in my own mind. Of course, my luck, one of y'all going to show up at the church. I don't know you're here. You're going to hear me in my office. Come and see a man who told me everything. I, but I begin to see this, and you begin to see the importance of her response. She immediately stepped out of timidity. She wasn't scared. She wasn't condemned. If she was condemned by what he said, she would have been saying, man, don't, don't go to him. He'll call you out on the carpet. You know what I mean? But no. Oh, y'all got to come see this dude. This guy is legit. This was her response. But how? How could he call her out on the carpet? And get this kind of response. Because he spent the first 16 verses creating an atmosphere where he was able to do that. See, the problem is a lot of the church has become all of verse 16 and none of 1 through 15. Oh, come on, this is real. See, sometimes you got to create an atmosphere where they feel like they belong before you can begin to say, okay, now let's deal with some stuff. Just like the disciples, Jesus made them belong even before they believed. You know, he calls them to be disciples, and they start going with him. And it's not until, what, three chapters later, he does a miracle and it says, and then the disciples believed. Your effectiveness in this community will be based on the atmosphere that you create. Some of you would love to witness to people, but before you get to say a word, they've already read into your atmosphere and they've shut down. They've already felt the atmosphere of judgment of negativity, of a lack of excitement. And they're reading these atmospheres, and our effectiveness is hanging on the fact that I shut this thing down before I ever got to say a word. Because whether you realize it or not, what we do is all based in the spiritual world. 
And in the spiritual world, you're coming in contact with these atmospheres all the time. And people are picking up on and reading these atmospheres. And she found herself in an atmosphere that even when her sin was exposed, she felt comfortable. She felt like he's not exposing me of my sin. He's freeing me from my sin. Maybe as the church, we've spent too much time exposing sin instead of freeing people from sin. Man. So our effectiveness on a personal level is determined. And, and I, I don't want to completely use the word determined, but your atmosphere plays a vital role in it. Let's put it that way. So what atmosphere are we hitting this community in? Are we hitting in the app? Are we, do we create an atmosphere of, well, this community, they need this, and I wish they'd get this, and if we had this in this community, then it'd be better. Or I'm going to drive to Monroe to get my stuff because it's way too expensive here. Come on, I'm just saying what we say. And we create a negative atmosphere about our community, and then we want to pray, God, let us reach them. What kind of atmosphere do we carry about our community? How do we feel? How does our community feel when they encounter us? Lastly, how does our atmosphere affect our how, do our, how does our atmosphere play a role in our effectiveness corporately? I want to show you, uh, matter of fact, just go to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a few scriptures here and then we're just going to highlight one point, all right? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, then suddenly there came a sound from the heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared divided tongues of fire and sat upon each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues as they were giving them utterance. This is what I want you to notice, what's on the screen. They were all with one accord in one place. This room that we're talking about, the upper room when we talk about it, it was so diverse. I mean, you're talking about 120 people in this room. We know just from following the 12 disciples through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that they were about as diverse as it comes. Just within those 12. Well, then Jesus enlists 70 more. You know, after Luke chapter 11, where the disciples just fail time after time after time, and you think, these guys are never going to get it. And then Jesus turns around and says, all right, now I'm going to make 70 more of y'all. But that's a whole different message. So then he makes 70 more, and this thing is just growing. So by the time they go in their room, there's 120 people in this upper room with all different personalities and preferences and all these types. Some were probably laying and praying. Some were walking. Some were kneeling. Some were singing. Some were rejoicing. It was all different. It was completely diverse, but the Scripture says they were in one accord. What if that one accord was the fact that they all came in the same atmosphere? That for my atmosphere... To be like your atmosphere doesn't mean my personality has to be like your personality. But what if they all came in with an atmosphere of faith and expectation 
an atmosphere built on the promise that Jesus said, if you tarry in Jerusalem, I'm going to fill you with power from on high. The promise began to create all their atmospheres. And when they came into one place and every atmosphere was in one accord with each other, it began to create such an atmosphere of faith that something miraculous took place and birthed the first church that wrecked the world. So what could happen if this many people showed up into a church on Sunday morning all in an atmosphere of faith and expectation? The possibilities are endless. But what happens is we end up in a church like this and over here there's an atmosphere of negativity and over here there's an atmosphere of of, of, of doubt, and over here there's this atmosphere, and all these different atmospheres clashing with one another. I'm reminded of there's a certain church that we, we love to keep up with, their ministers and their worship team and all that stuff, and we, we follow a lot, we draw a lot from them. We actually had some, some, uh, some from here go to that church last year, and they said just for their, their, their worship service on Sunday morning, Two hours before the doors open, people are lined up waiting to get in and be in the front. Just for worship service. Just a regular Sunday worship service. You know why? Because they live in an atmosphere of faith and expectation. And they're so convinced that if I can get there and get in his house and begin to join in with all the atmospheres of the people around me expecting God to show up, he'll show up and do something that's bigger than what I can imagine. And that's why they're seeing signs and wonders and miracles. People being healed of anything and everything you can imagine. Thousands being saved. They're baptizing hundreds of people a month. Because they've created an atmosphere. All my life growing up in church, I always heard that saying of, let's create an atmosphere that's conducive for God to do stuff. And, and all these atmosphere of faith. And to be honest, I never understood it all. And it was all kind of weird, for lack of a better term. But this week, I've begun to see it more than I ever have. That our mindset, our mood, our tone is creating an atmosphere. Jesus went to go into the city and it said he could do not many miracles there because they didn't believe. Is our unbelief creating an atmosphere that's keeping Jesus out? Courtney, you can come on up. I want you to think individually. The atmosphere that you've created in your own life. Is your atmosphere a reflection of heaven? Is it positive? Is it optimistic? One of the definitions was it determines the, if it's appealing or effective. Is the atmosphere that you've created, is it appealing? Are people drawn to it? When Jesus walked on the earth, crowds were just drawn to him. He, he had an appeal about him that drew people to him. When's the last time people were drawn to us? I mean, that same Jesus that walked the earth is living within me, right? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that the same Jesus that was here doing all that is living in me? So am I creating an atmosphere that reflects the Jesus that's in me? Or am I, am I creating an atmosphere that just reflects me? That reflects my doubt, my worry, my fear, my uncertainty? My stress, my negativity. Are all these the things that are creating the world around us? And then I want you as Life Church, 
Because to create an atmosphere in an entire body requires every member of the body. Everybody plays a part. So as a church, what atmosphere, what environment have we created at Life Church? When people pull into the atmosphere that starts at our parking lot, are they pulling into an atmosphere of faith and expectation? Could you imagine? I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to be pastoral about it. I'm not taking shots at anybody. All right? Your atmosphere or environment will determine how you receive this. But what would it do for somebody if they pulled into our parking lot on Sunday morning and people were lined up at the doors to get in? Would it not create faith in them before they ever got out of the car? But what does it do when somebody shows up at a church? Drag in 1045, 11, whenever we can make it, whenever it's convenient for me, I'll get in there because it's Sunday and I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Look, I know this is real and it's not easy, but I'm just taking you through the understanding that if you want to create an atmosphere that God wrecks people's lives, we have to quit tiptoeing around the reality that it's because of us and not because of him. Imagine how faith-building it is when you pull into the parking lot of the church that I mentioned and people are lined up two hours early, not for a person, not for a handshake, but to get into the presence of God and worship Him with no reserve. What does it do for people? I want Life Church to have such an atmosphere of faith and expectation that on Saturday, I'm chomping at the bits to get there on Sunday. I can't wait till those doors open because when we all get in there together and there's that many atmospheres of faith, God can't help but rip open heaven and pour out everything he's got. This is what we're after. But a corporate atmosphere is only the product of individual atmospheres. So we can't keep praying, God, I want a supernatural atmosphere at the church if we're not living in a supernatural atmosphere in ourselves. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.